information at the wonderful Connect table out there. So go ahead and check that out before you leave. Okay, now, like I said, it's summertime here, and summertime always reminds me of the fun things that I did as a kid. Uh, so many great activities that I try to pass on to my children, you know, swimming, camping, golfing, you know, anybody here golf? I know there's a few, yeah, Riley. Riley's gonna be on the tour one day, so look out for him there. But I just love so many of these things. But one is not summer specific, but it always seemed to happen in my household over the summer, and I think it was because we were just home a lot more, and that was playing with Legos. Any Lego fans in the house? Oh, come on. Now, Legos are amazing. If you're not a fan of Legos, you don't know how to have fun. That's all I'm saying, okay? But as an adult, I have loved passing that along to my children. It just amazes me how a pile of random plastic bricks and whatever you call those other pieces <laughs> become this beautiful creation. And so not too long ago, I got wrapped up in with my family. We started watching the show Lego Masters. Anybody familiar with that? It is unbelievable. Teams of creative people are given the challenge to create something really special out of these piles and piles of Legos. I actually have a couple of examples Andrew's gonna throw up there to show you just the types of things that they put out for people to see. Wow. Yep, all, all from their own mind. There's no plan here. They just created that with their brains and lots and lots of Legos. Uh, there's another one, there's a theme park as well. Right, isn't that incredible? It's incredible to me that people are able to take what is just a pile of Legos and create such a wonderful, wonderful creation. Now the thing about Legos that makes them so special in my mind is that despite there being all types of shapes and sizes and colors, all of these are brought together to create something really, really special, really, really fluid, and they work together to have this beautiful creation. And as we go through the book of Acts, which we're going to be in chapter 16 today, we see it sort of doing the same thing, Jesus creating his church out of all types of people, taking big, I'm not going to call it piles, because that's not very elegant, but all types of groups of people different shapes, sizes, beliefs, backgrounds, and creating his church. And so the conclusion that we're gonna to draw today is that Legos are indeed a godly toy. Okay, no, that's not, that's not what we're gonna to get to. But I like the imagery because it is really, really similar to how God is weaving his church together. In chapter 16, we're gonna see three very different stories of people that have been called to advance the gospel. And their backgrounds and their stories are really, really, really wild. They're really amazing. And all of them are called to follow Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, as, they're, as you're gonna find out and as we read together, God calls them not only to go out and be a follower of Jesus, but calls them back to be ambassadors of the gospel. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Kelly's message was fantastic, and the tagline or the big idea that he said was, the gospel is enough. And we're going to see that same reality 
in these three stories from Acts chapter 16. We're going to see that the gospel has the power to transform lives of all different types to bring them together for the glory of God and the good of the church. So starting in Acts chapter 16, in fact, if you don't have your Bibles on you, there should be an Acts journal near you. You can open up your app. We're going to be in Acts 16. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're starting with the story of a lady named Lydia. It's really, really cool. So let's, let's read that together. Verse 11 says, from Troas, we, being Paul and Silas, put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. I'm sure I said that correctly. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So we have Lydia, who is a businesswoman and a very successful businesswoman. She was the producer of fine purple cloth. Now, purple is a significant detail because in this time period, purple was really, really hard to make. And so the author, Luke, is saying, listen, this lady was extremely successful at what she does. She was from Thyatira, which was a metropolis of its own, and now residing in Philippi, which is its own metropolis, an important city. And so these details, you're thinking, oh, they're just kind of like historical details, but what it's capturing is that Lydia was a businesswoman extraordinaire. She was the type of person that if you're going, man, I I just want to be like a business mogul, a business influencer, Lydia is the person that you're like. And we find her observing observing Sabbath, which means she was most likely a practicing Jew. But regardless, we know that she was a God worshiper. And she was sitting there, and she ran into Paul and Silas, and it says that God opened her heart to the message of the gospel. Jesus changed her life. The gospel changed her life. And now she was not just a God worshiper, but she was a Christ follower. And she was called to be a gospel influencer. So she goes from a economic influencer to now a gospel influencer. It says in verse 13 that Lydia had, she was sitting down and she was having this conversation when Paul opened up her heart to the message of the gospel, which I thought was really interesting because so many times we think to ourselves, man, I just don't think that, that big things can happen in small conversations. But the truth of the matter is that Lydia was sitting next to the river with some of her friends observing Sabbath and Paul sits down and just says the gospel to her, just tells her the gospel and her life is transformed. And the reason is because the gospel is enough, right? 
We heard that last week. Scholars believe that Lydia was actually instrumental in planting the church in Philippi. So you imagine one day sitting next to a river, minding your own business, probably balling out, have whatever version of you know, a nice picnic they had back then. She probably rolled up in her horse Mercedes, you know, I don't know, whatever that looks like. And she sits there and this, these two men walk up and they share the gospel and her life is completely changed forever, completely changed forever. So that's story number one. The next story that we hear is a very different story, a very, very different story, but one with a similar outcome. So we pick the story back up in verse 16. It says, once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her, for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So Acts chapter 16 takes a very wild turn right here. We go from a successful business mogul to a possessed slave girl. Now, this passage can be a bit confusing because what it looks like the slave girl is doing at just like on the surface is that she's like a hype man at a concert for Paul and Silas, right? You see what she says. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. But what's actually happening here is that they're distracting, she's distracting people from the message that Paul and Silas are trying to bring. She's actually mocking them and she's creating this distraction over and over. So Paul turns around and he casts out the spirit, which I think is really crazy in and of itself. But, but something else is happening here and this is another detail that you might miss. The passage doesn't explicitly say that as a result of the spirit leaving her that she was indeed saved at that moment. But we look to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 12, and I'm going to have it up on the screen to you, and I think we find that the slave girl is also transformed and saved, has salvation in this moment through Jesus. So Matthew 12, 43 through 45 is Jesus' teaching. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. So Jesus' teaching shows us that once a demonic spirit leaves a person, it goes out. It tries to find some other spirits, tries to gather a few of its buddies, and comes back and makes life even worse for that person, unless something else fills that space. And so I believe, this is conjecture, it doesn't say it right here in the scripture, but I believe based off Jesus' teaching and the details that we find here, 
that the Holy Spirit filled that space and that that slave girl was, was saved. And the reason I believe that is because it says that she was no longer able to do the fortune telling, meaning that the spirit that occupied her space, her soul, was, no, was not able to return, was no longer there, and she was saved and transformed. Now, this slave girl has a very different life than Lydia. They have almost nothing in common, except the call to follow Jesus. And her example shows us much differently than Lydia's, who's over here living a very successful life, that Jesus also comes with the gospel to dark and dirty and nasty spaces where people find themselves in these weird, awful, unbearable spots, and the gospel transforms their life. Because why? The gospel is enough, as we learned last week. Now, can I get an amen from y'all? I mean, come on, right? Like, I know it's hot in here, but let's do this thing, right? Finally, the third story that we see in Acts chapter 16 is also a very unlikely person who is saved from a life of death and destruction. And as a result of Paul's actions with the slave girl, Paul and Silas are brought before the authorities, before the magistrates, and the result of this puts them in front of a very important person. So in verse 20, it says this. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar. First of all, that's a lie, but oh well, the story must go on. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before, before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave in peace. So Paul and Silas make a group of very powerful people 
angry. Puts them in a tough spot because they have to do something the entire city is demanding that they be dealt with. Then they are thrown into the deepest parts of this prison. Like, most certainly the part of the prison where everyone else is, like, fecal matter kind of collect, and it's dark and dingy. I mean, this is like a disgusting place in prison. And Paul and Silas land there because they cast out an evil spirit. And you're thinking to yourself, much like I am, where's the justice in this, God? But the story goes on. They're chained to a wall, and they are singing hymns. Ah, I'm not sure I'd be there. <laughs> right? I mean, if I'm honest with myself, that's a pretty tough thing to conjure up in that moment. But suddenly, and this is what happens when you try to put God's disciples in prison, when you try to attack Jesus' people, there's an earthquake, right? Can you imagine that moment? There's this earthquake, and all the jail doors, they fly open. Now, this is usually where the movie turns into chaos, right? All the jail doors fly open, and everything starts on fire. All of a sudden, there's these cans burning, you know? It's like, this is where chaos usually commences, but not in our story. Instead of fleeing the jail, they stay and they witness to the jailer. Now the jailer is a unique character in this moment because we have, of course, Lydia, the business mogul. We have the slave girl who is now free from her spirit possession. We have this jailer and the jailer is almost certainly a decorated soldier who is now retired from war. When he retired from years and years of his post of quenching his thirst for destruction, destitution, and death, they would most likely give the jailer this position to continue that thirst. The jailer had experienced so much trauma in his life that he's probably one of the most violent people in the entire city. You don't return from the type of life that he lived and just re-enter society normally. And so this was actually like a gracious way that the political parties would use to let them have their thirst for destruction and death without getting themselves into trouble. His daily routine was torture. His daily routine was agony. His daily routine was death. And so if you imagine this man in a matter of moments, going from that state, PTSD, angry, thirsty for death, the Holy Spirit fills him, changes him, and it says that he was filled with joy. Isn't that incredible? Why? Why does that happen? Because the gospel is enough. Because the gospel is enough. Now, these three stories, the successful businesswoman, the spirit-filled slave girl, and the war-torn jailer are all part of God's plan to spread the gospel. So imagine you show up to their local church, and these three people are standing in front of the church giving their testimonies. Right? Would you ever doubt for one second that God could use you to do something amazing? I would, I would not doubt at all. Would you have a single doubt that God chose you specifically as a foundational component of his church? I wouldn't doubt that. I hope you wouldn't either. 
And so you read these accounts, and it's hard to doubt. It's hard to doubt that what God can do, much like the song that we sang earlier, it's hard to doubt that what God can do is above and beyond so much of this tragedy, so much of these distractions, so much of what these three people encountered in their lives. And yet here they are, recorded for us as believers today to read for our benefit. You did hear their testimony, all three of them just right now from Acts 16. It's stories like these why I can confidently read to you passages like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. How about Ephesians 4, 15 through 16? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, the language in these passages, much like the stories we read in Acts 16, are things like new creation, reconciled, ambassador, and together, and every part doing its job so that the church is built up. If you are here today, or if you're listening online at any point this week, I want you to hear this. In Jesus, we are new creations, and we are foundational to his church. We are foundational to his church. Every single person has a role. In fact, I have just two takeaways, and then we're going to wrap up, because I know it's 280 degrees in here. God's grace will send us on our way. But the first one is this. Every single Lego is an important part of the set. If you've ever been missing a Lego, you know that is heartbreaking. It is. Have you ever tried to complete the set and there's one Lego missing and you're like, how does this happen? Now, thankfully, Lego is a quality brand and that rarely happens and they'll take care of you if you don't. But the application is even more important because you are foundational to this set. You're foundational to this set. When Jesus started weaving his church together and he foresaw that Center Church would exist right now, it was for a reason that he assigned you to this church and me and Pastor Kelly because we are foundational to the mission set before us. Every single Lego is important to the set. And the second one is this. In the gospel-inspired, Holy Spirit-led life is not a boring life, right? If you just sat here, you read these stories, and you don't feel like there's this wild adventure out there for you, then you weren't listening to me, which is possible. I've seen it happen before. 
If you heard Paul and Silas' stories from Acts 16 and you thought, sure, but that was Paul, I'm just me, then you're not listening to me. These testimonies show us a life of following Jesus is wild and fulfilling and meaningful and no other path in life will match up to it. No other path. So here's my encouragement as I wrap this up. Tap in to what God is doing. Tap in and play your role at Center Church. You are foundational. You are an important piece of this Lego set. Okay? Okay, let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for today. And even though we sit here in this hot room, probably distracted about the things we're gonna go and do, I pray that your message, the gospel, would seep into our soul that we would realize, if we haven't already, that we are an essential foundational part to this set that you've put together, that you ordained from the heavenly factories that we arrive here in this moment together to do what you've set in front of us. So God, I pray that that reality would be true and that we would buy into it and that it would, that it would lead to these wild, adventurous stories where the gospel is enough. God, for the lives that are like Lydia, that we would see transformation happen. For the lives where there's trauma, like the slave girl, that we would see transformation happen. For the lives like the jailer, where there's anger and destruction, that we would see transformation happen. And every single story in between, God, we know that the gospel is enough. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, by God's grace, we decided to shorten the service. We were going to sing a song, but I, Pastor Kelly and I thought, it's too hot in here. And so I'm actually going to have you just stand up. I would love for you to stick around, grab a cup of coffee outside, check out the new seating that the Connect team put together, and have a wonderful, wonderful 4th of July. We love y'all. See you next week.